Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is our chubby-cheek, broken-arrow boy, Zachary Mabry. Zach, how are you? I'm great. Uh, Still got those chubby cheeks, let me tell you. Were you off Twitter? Did you see that, um, that whole thing about how we dug up the announcement in the local paper when you got the part on Little Rascals? Um, either you texted it to me or I saw it once I started logging into the podcast Twitter. Um, or no, my mom told me about it. So yeah, no, my mom was like, they, uh, they dug that up. We dug it up. We, so yeah, we found you pal. Oh, if you want to see the tweet, that's a great, Hey, good thing you mentioned that Zach. If you want to see those tweets, you can find us at Roman circus pod. I'm at, Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is once again, thankfully, finally at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. Email us, podcast at romancircusblog.com. Find us on iTunes. Just search for Roman Circus Podcast. Leave a review if you want. You can also find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast app you may have. Zach, we had a pretty intense episode last week. I think we're going to follow it up with more hard-hitting intensity. But first, the lighter side of the podcast. Do you have any news for us? Well, wait, was I back on Twitter when we did our last episode or nah? I don't know, but the intro is already done, so... Uh, That's true, I just can't remember. Um, well, so... Yeah. Maybe you were, I don't know. Anyway, continue, sorry. Well, so in the news, um, there's a lot of stuff about Trump, and I don't... I don't read anything for the most part because it just, it's exhausting. Sure. Um, There was a great piece about Evelyn Waugh um, fanatics that uh, Matthew Walther did in the week. So I recommend checking that out. It was, uh, it was pretty funny. I don't know what percentage of the things apply. I really do like Evelyn Waugh quite a bit. Um, He, the author Brideshead revisited. Right. Um, Though I don't have any ill fitting, clothing at all but i especially i don't have any ill-fitting tweed jackets but i do like additive free cigarettes so um <laughs> that was good or i'll just smoke marblites it just depends mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean you know otherwise in the news uh since we don't talk about trump and we don't talk well we do but we don't and then we we especially don't talk about what an idiot elon musk is a lot of the stories uh, don't qualify for our um you know our coverage this news segment's really going great i'm glad we introduced it (laughs) i mean we're trying to bring people you know the important news and there's not going to be something important every single week Mm -hmm. um though i think we should follow up though i don't know if it relates more to the topic but you know last week we talked about cardinal mccarrick and um since then he's been demoted to archbishop mccarrick okay so that's how we will refer so, to him henceforth. Well, that is uh, that is still his title. So he's still Archbishop and would still be addressed as your eminence. Um, you know, I guess reflect on that. Um, but for now, that's, uh, that's the title. Um, there's been some response from the church. Um, there have been, I think, at least two bishops have come out um, against 
predatory sexual behavior by their fellow bishops. And so that's a start. That's um, encouraging. <laughs> yes. Two uh, is better than zero. That, right. I think the first one that got coverage was um, Bishop Olson of Fort Worth, the neighboring diocese to where I live. Um, uh, uh, you know, his letter he posted on, on Twitter and encouraged people to read. It was well-received. Um, a quote from it that I would point to is he said, Justice also requires that all of those in church leadership who knew of the former cardinal's alleged crimes and sexual misconduct and did nothing be held accountable for their refusal to act, thereby enabling others to be hurt. So I agree uh, with Bishop Olson when he says this, but you know one thing that I would say is that this business of um, these you know high-ranking churchmen coming out and saying, "Oh, I didn't know." Right. And, you know, that's their only response. It's, I mean, you kind of wonder, you know, well, do you feel bad that it happened? Or, you know, okay, well, he was your roommate. Did, I mean, are you mad at him? Like, <laughs> you kind of wonder, yeah. really, your whole response is, well, I didn't know. And that absolves you. Um, Zach, you, know, when you're you were shepherd, very specific yeah. with the roommate part of that. Are you speaking of anyone in particular? Well, one of the people that's just been big on this tour of I didn't know um, was uh, Cardinal Farrell, who sure. was roommates with Cardinal McCarrick for six years. Um, interesting point. Cardinal Farrell was also uh, heavily involved in um, the Legion of Christ uh, under Marseille Marseille, who was a you know a super rape monster too. Um, <laughs> and I've seen people online starting to refer to him as um, Farrell Gump, referencing Forrest Gump because he manages to just kind of stumble into these super important events and and not even know what's going on around him. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you know, if you're a shepherd uh, in charge of a diocese or the care of souls and you didn't know, um, you know, it's a it's a good time to reflect on whether being a shepherd is an appropriate role or not. Sure. Um, obviously, if you knew, then it's pretty black and white. You've got to go. Um, but I don't, I don't see not knowing as some kind of, you know, magic excuse. Um, you know, maybe that's just me, but, uh, it's your job to know. So, um, of course. we'll kind of see where that goes. I mean, McCarrick is the first U.S. Cardinal to ever, um, resign or I guess be removed from the College of Cardinals. Okay. Um, I think there need to be quite a few more. Um, as this thing progresses, because there's just so much coming. There's so many people coming forward who notified Cardinal O'Malley, who, who notified, you know, people in the Holy See. And I think, you know, now that more people are coming forward, we'll start to find out, you know, who knew what and, and when did they know it? Because this kind of stuff gets around, you know, I feel like not everybody could have not known anything. I may just be going out on a limb there, Zach, but someone had to have known something, and uh, we'll find out about it. Oh, yes. Um, and so that's what, you know, I would just encourage people, again, to come forward. People are are going to believe you if your allegations are true, and if they're not true, of course, that will be found out. Um, but so, you know, if they're true, I think now is your time. Um Another bishop who uh, came forward and spoke was Bishop Scharfenberger of Albany, New York. Um, mm-hmm. He posted his letter on the the website for his diocese. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing that he said, he said, at its heart, 
This is much more than a challenge of law enforcement. It is a profoundly spiritual crisis. So at its heart, it is a profoundly spiritual crisis, says uh, the Bishop of Albany, New York, uh, Bishop Scharfenberger. Right. Um, I think that's important. And to kind of illustrate um, what that crisis looks like, I want to kind of go back to what J.D. Flynn who is the editor of Catholic News Agency and an expert canon lawyer, um, what he says. So, quoting J.D. Flynn, he says, But when a bishop behaves with sexual immorality, the effects ripple across his entire diocese. Priests and seminarians who object to that sexual immorality leave quickly or find themselves marginalized. Those who rise to leadership positions are those who are left. Those who rise to leadership positions are those who are left. There are those who are willing to accept the bishop's sexual immorality, those who are complicit in it, or those who are too naive to notice it. So um, J.D. Flynn basically gives two, or sorry, three possibilities, which are pretty airtight. Those who are willing to accept the bishop's sexual immorality, those who are complicit in it, and those who are too naive to notice it. He says those in the first two categories, being willing to accept some rejections of Catholic teaching, are usually also likely to accept other rejections of Catholic teaching. That can be reflected in their pastoral leadership and catechesis. He says in their catechesis. So consequently, an entire diocese can be formed with a theological perspective framed by relativism, tolerance of immorality, and compromise. The effects of a bishop's sexual immorality can lead to spiritual and catechetical decline across an entire diocese. The effects of a bishop's sexual immorality can lead to spiritual and catechetical decline across an entire diocese. I feel like that's completely true, obviously. If they're the head of the diocese, it, it starts at the top, right? If something is going on there, then it'll feel its effects and make its way down to the laity. Because the way the bishop, exactly. the way the bishop handles the priests in the diocese, will directly reflect how the priests handle their duties within their own churches. So if the bishop is letting everybody get away with anything, then no one's going to hold the priests accountable, and the laity can't hold the priests accountable. So the priests will be running amok, and it'll just be a zoo. Right. And I mean, you're, you're right there about the authority. There's basically, it's part of the deposit of faith, the hierarchy of the church, which is basically um, the people under the priests, under the bishops, under the pope. And so, yeah, I mean, when it's the bishop in the diocese, it's, it's going to have a ripple effect, you know, across, across the, the whole diocese. So to sort of gauge how widespread these problems are, you know, ask yourself about the state of catechesis and the spiritual health of dioceses nationwide in our country. Right. Okay. And, and then, you know, instead of having to go on to some of the sketchier blogs or, or read some of this really stomach turning stuff, you can really just start from looking at that, you know, um, how's catechesis in your diocese? So, you know, that's, that's the problem we're up against. And, our response oh sorry one other anecdote i think that's kind of interesting um several years ago i think it was 2006 george weigel um who writes for first things and and sometimes we kind of make fun of him but you know he's a respected columnist um he wrote an article sort of questioning 
Bishop McCarrick, because Bishop McCarrick would go make these statements about how important it was to always be in the middle and to reach out to left and to right, um, which I guess maybe he meant more literally. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, am I allowed to laugh at that? And, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, um, and so, and this gets published in like the Denver Diocesan paper or something like that. Well, basically, Cardinal McCarrick, not like some national publication, is what you're saying. Right. Okay. Um, so Cardinal McCarrick reads this and essentially throws a hissy fit and goes back in Commonweal, which everyone knows is trash, and writes this sort of response back about how, you know, he, before you call names and do things like that, well, you know, George Weigel, for what, you know, whatever we want to say about him, he was asking a question. He was basically saying, to what extent is this having to be in the middle and reaching out to multiple sides go? Does it include matters of doctrine? That's all he was asking. Right. And and the response, it's just so um, whiny. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, how very so Blanche of him. Yes. Blanche was on... Uh, rampage. So, uh, oh man, where is it? Um, is this where we throw up one of those signs that say, please pardon our dust. We're working to make this podcast better for you. Oh, so he referred to George Weigel's category. He accused him of being guilty of deceptive journalism, if not worse. Nice. So, you know, I do wonder if, if, if Weigel will be getting apology. He then says, avoid name-calling and personal attacks and be careful that what we say is always true, both in its expression and its implication. And again, George Weigel was asking a question. And so you sort of see this kind of, um, this environment of, of sort of fear and intimidation just by asking a question in, in a diocesan newspaper, you know, George Weigel is a layman, uh, a cardinal of the church comes out and attacks him, and it gets published in Commonweal. So, you know, now imagine that you're not asking a question of someone like Cardinal McCarrick, but, you know, you're just making an accusation that, you know, he he has been groping you for the past 10 to 15 years. Um, and you've seen how publications like Commonweal will just, you know jump at the occasion to run a hit piece on behalf of, of Cardinal McCarrick at the time. And, you know, it, it makes you wonder why these people took so long to come forward. Well, because they were scared and because people sure. like Cardinal McCarrick and publications like Commonwealth made them scared. Well, yeah, if, so, but if, if your molester can have access to any publication he wants at any time to run anything he wants, it's obviously going to make you scared. You're, you, what are you going to do? You're just a person in the crowd shouting at the giant printing press, right? Like you're at the mercy of, you're at the mercy of whatever they want to say. So you really have no hope. Exactly. I mean, exactly. So, you know, we're going to keep following the story now that Cardinal McCarrick has become Archbishop McCarrick. We're, uh, Obviously, what we want to see is that he becomes Mr. McCarrick eventually. Right. Um, but, you know, again, not just him. I mean, he's 88 years old. I doubt he's got too much harm left to do. Um, but he didn't act alone. And he had lots of friends and people that would cover for him. And that all needs to be brought out. So um, continue coming forward. If you're someone out there, there was a... Um, 
a thread posted. I just retweeted it from my personal Twitter. We can do it from the podcast one. Oh, it's um, a brutal thread, man. I know what you're going to say. It, it is. Um, so, oh, I can't, what is his name? So his his handle is what Inflamate Omnia. Um, yeah, but his his name on there is just a cross. But he he talks about his experience in a seminary, and you know from stories I've heard from other people I know, and and same for you, I I think Matt. This kind of stuff is not rare. Yeah. Um, the story is that it's gotten better, but um, you know you have to remember a lot of things started to get better um, a few years ago, and they've started getting worse over the last five years, and so we don't know, you know the state of things now but you know if you're somebody who has a vocation to the priesthood i think it's good to be aware of these things so that you're not scandalized but you know don't let that deter you from following your vocation well he goes into that in this thread that you retweeted he kind of touches on that too about what to look for and how to kind of prepare yourself to go into seminary what questions to ask and what kind of you know things to do so you're already go in knowing what you're up against but yeah I reached out to a friend earlier today who was in seminary and asked him if he experienced any of this type of stuff and he said his seminary was not too bad but there was still some shenanigans going on that he thought some people needed to be busted in the chops for Um, right and so you know what I'd remind what I'd remind everybody is that if you've got a smartphone, and statistically you do, you have the ability to call a press conference 24 hours a right. day, seven days a week. You know, just go on Periscope or Facebook Live or Instagram Live or, or Snap, whatever. I mean, everything's got a live. Pull it up right away and just and just go, you know. Um, the the big way that they they do this kind of stuff is by by making you think you have to be silent. But again, you have the ability to call a press conference at any moment with your smartphone. So, you know, make it happen. Yeah, I, you know, it's, we don't want to go on record saying to follow everything that dirty, dumb Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood does. But all these people were really good about just blasting out their experiences and names and things. These women in the Me Too, you know, some of them were just taking taking all the blowback, but they were doing it for the good of the cause. So if we're going to follow anything of Hollywood, then that is one example to follow. But yep. I don't, other than that, so this kind of sets us up good for today's topic because this is a rough time. We obviously know it's a rough time. People are not really feeling too gung-ho about certain things within the church. And you come across tweets or you come across people who are having such a hard time with this that it they're worried that it might affect their Catholicism at large. So we wanted to talk about basically why you should be a Catholic in 2018. Because... It's 2018, and we're living in the middle of a, a rough time. So why now? Why, after all this stuff, why, as we see the culture shifting, everything, why should we be Catholic in 2018? Um, you know, it's kind of an awkward question to ask, but I think some people are asking it, and they might not want to ask it 
to a bunch of people, so we're going to talk about it here and hopefully answer some of their questions. Right. I mean, people here, you know, I make sure to post about these things, um, and they hear us talk about these things, and their first question is, yeah, why would you still be part of this organization? Mm-hmm. Um, why would you do that? And, you know, um, so maybe we, our first question is, is, should you be Catholic in 2018? And... um Yes, of course. In 2018, <laughs> the best thing that you can do is repent and submit to the Pope. Right. Uh, that continues to be the best advice I can give anybody. If someone thought we were going to say something different, uh, well, you were wrong. We said exactly what you thought what we were going to say. So, but exactly. But, and I, sorry to interrupt. You go before I prattle on. Well, I was going to say I, I do think that it, it's sort of a very American thing, um, and it. It's debatable if it flows from religion or politics or which one comes first. Right. But basically, this mindset of of secession, seceding, um, you know, with Protestantism, you know, the idea was, well, if you disagree with the church or the people in the church, then you split off and form your own. Sure. And you can, and then you see that, you know, essentially happen uh, with the issue of slavery and the lead up to the Civil War. You know, the South didn't agree with where the country was going, so they broke off and formed their own country. And so this idea that you should withdraw from, you know, being part of of anything that you disagree with or, you know, you, that you have the right to break apart and start your own thing mm-hmm. is sort of deeply ingrained in American religion with, you know, with the Protestant influence. And then you can also see it play out politically. Sure, that's um, why you go to towns and you see two Baptist churches on across the street from each other, but they're not the same church. In some of these, right. in some of these examples, uh, the person who built the second Baptist church was going to the first Baptist church, didn't like what uh, the guy up on stage was saying, so he decided that he could do it better. Like, it's really, it sounds simple and dumb, but it's as simple as that in a lot of these cases. Especially when you have no central authority, like the Pope. Right. And so, you know, when you drive up to the first church of what's happening now, <laughs> you kind of have to wonder, you know, when was this church started and who was it char- started by and what sort of mandate do they have? Right. Um, and so, again, the only example in history of of somebody being told by God to start a church... Uh, it, you know, physically is when, when Jesus Christ, the man who was God, was on Earth, and he looked to Simon Peter and said, "You know, I build my church. Uh, you know, I will build my church on on Peter, on the rock, on you know Petrus." Right. So, you know, every other example of somebody who, in a dream, or they walked into a cave, or you know, they had this idea, yada yada yada. Well, you know. The example our Lord said is that if he wants you to start your own ch- or start a church, he's going to physically tell you, you know, in his physical person. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if that isn't happening to you, then you don't go start another church. Right. So that, I think that obviously, well, we can go one of two ways with that is the idea of something being true and then also the difference between the church and the church, like meaning the church at large and then the people within the church, right? 
Yeah, so so you kind of have the church as the spotless body of or spotless bride of Christ, and then you have the institutional church. You know, its physical structures. Right. So, first of all, let's touch briefly on the idea of true. So we have to remember that if something is true, then it's true for all mankind throughout eternity, right? Because there, mm-hmm. if something if something is not true for someone in 500 AD, like it is in 1900 AD, then the idea of truth is just a non-issue. And I'm not talking about the idea of like, you know, cell phones or computers. I'm talking about moral truths, right? So, and again, if we believe that this is the true church of Christ established on Peter, passed down through a unbroken line of successors, something established as true in that church at that moment or a hundred years later would have to remain true throughout the rest of time. So true doesn't change and vacillate depending on the people living within the world, right? Because then Jesus's mission and his death would have just been a fraud and would have been for nothing. So if true, if true is dependent on the number of good people within this church and the more bad people are, are the less truth that holds, then Christ failed, right? It's as simple as that. Right. And so knowing that, you know, the Catholic Church was founded by Christ as a visible society with, you know, the purpose of training people for heaven, Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't suddenly become not that because it's inhabited by terrible sinners. Um, You know, and it, it doesn't, some other organization, you know, down the street, super fun rock band church, doesn't become the church founded by Christ just because the church that Christ founded, you know, is, is being run by perverts at the moment. (laughs) Um, it, again, you know, they're, they're probably not perverts over at super fun rock band church. And they don't have anybody like, like Archbishop McCarrick. Um, but again, there's just the one church founded by Christ. Um, and if, if you wanted to, you know, have a good case for, you know, bailing on that church. I think the person in history who has the best argument for doing that is St. John the Beloved. Right. So, you know, again, we talked about this last week, but, you know, at the crucifixion, the only disciple of the 12 that were handpicked by our Lord that, that showed that actually stayed with our Lord Mm. during his death was St. John. And, you know, the 11 remaining, or sorry, 10, because Judas had already committed suicide. Well, there's that. Okay, Judas, handpicked by our Lord, consecrated as a bishop, hours later betrays our Lord unto death and commits suicide. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to quit when bishops started sinning, you've got to quit then. Well, also, um, if you want to look back to the Old Testament, basically every major figure in the Old Testament screwed up in royal fashion somehow, right? So the idea has never been that man is been completely perfect at one point we were and then we weren't and then everyone has done bad things right and i mean yeah a lot of people in the old a lot of the old testament figures were sex perverts and all this stuff um (laughs) are we gonna are we gonna have to put a mature rating on this podcast zach 
Sorry, I'll clean it up. I'll clean it up. It's and you right. start to get cynical reading all this stuff. Um, right. No, so St. Saint, Saint John, again, so Judas is dead. So there's ten other um, disciples, one being the Pope, St. Peter, who's already been you know appointed at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they bail, and St. John actually shows up. And so his his case for for going off and starting his own thing is strong. Sure. You know, he's probably got our Lord's blood splattered on him. Oh, of course. None of the other apostles have that. But it doesn't even cross his mind. There's not even uh, there's not even some situation where everybody has to go beg him for mercy. The idea of breaking communion with his brother bishops does not enter his mind. Um and that has to be the example that we follow as well. Um you know, Our Lady continued to recognize Peter as the head of of her son's church, even after he abandoned her son and told people, you know, three times that he didn't even know him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I don't know that my mom would would want to put up with somebody treating me like that. Well, so Our Lady's example again points to the fact that yes, there's going to be bad people in the church, and there's going to be people, good people in the church, to do bad things. Um, and it's still going to be the church and it's still going to be, you know, the vessel for entering heaven. I mean, Noah was this complete, you know, drunk, you know, idiot at times. And you didn't just throw yourself off the ark because Noah was, you know, T-Rexing, stumbling around, (laughs) texting with one eye closed. (laughs) Right. Well, again, it just basic thought is, if it's true, it's true through the good and the bad. Something is not just true when it's good, right? That's very that's very subjective, and uh, it's just kind of uh, wishy-washy, really, at the end of the day. Like it, and it, it's, I'm not trying to downplay the badness because it's bad, but it doesn't lessen right. it doesn't lessen I mean, we're obviously, truth. we spent the first 15 minutes... Yeah, I mean, we spent the first 15 minutes saying how bad it was. And, you know, I think for some people, if you're trying to somehow rationalize this bad behavior, right? you know, or you think that you need to, mm-hmm. you know, free yourself from that. You don't need to. Like, these are horrible things that should never have happened, and and you're not, you're not called to agree with these horrible... I mean, you're called to condemn these activities. Um, so, you know, that's an important thing. Right, and that's actually the correct stance to improve the church like you're not you're not helping build the church by turning a blind eye to all of this you're helping build the church and bring the church into 2019 and beyond by calling these people out and wanting them to be gotten rid of right so stay catholic but if you see something say something yeah Um, so then the idea that we were going to talk about is the difference between the the church and then the church meaning the people within the church. So you can look at it right. you can look at it as that well it's the correct way to look at it but um, the stain of the people within the church does not touch the church as the bride of Christ. Yes, and it should be no surprise that this was excellently captured by um, the great Frank Sheed. Okay. Uh, so I want to I want to give a quote from Frank Sheed. He says, "We are not baptized into the hierarchy. Do not receive cardinals sacramentally. 
We will not spend an eternity in the beatific vision of the Pope. Christ is the point. I myself admire the present Pope. He's referring to Paul VI. Mm -hmm. But even if I criticized him as harshly as some do, even if his successor proved to be as bad as some of those who have gone before, even if I find the church as I have to live with it a pain in the neck, I should still say that nothing a pope or priest could do or say would make me wish to leave the church, although I might wish that they would leave. Nothing a pope or priest could do or say would make me wish to leave the church, Yeah, that although I might well wish that they would leave. Close quote, Frank Sheed. Right. So, so I think that's so important to remember that Christ is the point. The purpose of being Catholic is union with Christ. Well, and you can see, even in that quote, these bad bishops and bad priests, the sacrament is still valid, right? So if Cardinal McCarrick was still saying Mass, and we had no idea that any of this was going on, the sacrament is still valid. He hears your confession— the confession is still valid if it, you know, meets the proper requirements. But so that shows that the church is bigger than the bad people, right? Like as as Frank Sheed said, we don't what is it? We don't receive cardinals as sacraments. We receive Right, we, re- we don't receive the cardinals sacramentally. So yeah, the the body and blood the, the Eucharist at mass is not transfigured into a cardinal. Mm-hmm. It's the body of Christ. Right. And that's um, I don't. Well, this is where we could get into rough territory about how we see some priests these days and how certain things go within the mass. But uh, I mean, we put we do put these priests on pedestals. Like we do admire them, and for good reason. We, I don't know if we should put them on pedestals, but we should admire these holy men of God, right? But at the same time they are fulfilling an office they're fulfilling an obligation their job so these these great holy men of god are just doing their job they're doing what they're fulfilling the role that they were called to fulfill and it doesn't make them any more godlike than us they can completely fall and they can completely you know just crumble into a trash pile so we have to remember that they're they're doing some their their office allows them to do some amazing things but at the end of the day they could fall down so we you know we like we have this we have this tendency to want to build these men up as great invincible superpowers but they're just basically humans like us who are have the potential to be great holy men of god did any of that make sense was that rambling and incoherent no it made sense and you know not just potential i mean they have the sacrament of holy orders and our lord will provide them with sufficient grace to be you know these excellent right uh, priests, it's just some of them are they still their free will is still intact and if they use their free will to be you know, these horrible monsters, then they're going to do that. Um, but, you know, our Lord has designed the sacraments in such a way that even even Cardinal McCarrick could, uh, or Archbishop McCarrick can, if he says Mass, the, the, body, the bread and the wine will be transformed into the body and blood, soul and divinity of Christ, right. and receiving that, 
um, will you know result in an increase in grace if the necessary dispositions are 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 there. Uh, so we we can't get confused. You know, again, when we go to you know we talk about some of these you know well known priests who who don't follow the teachings of the church, and then of course these priests who are guilty of you know unspeakable crimes against nature and man. Um, but, but ultimately they're still able to validly confect the sacraments. And if, if I was, you know, on an Island, I would, I would receive communion from, you know, any of these people, uh, because it's God, you know, it's Jesus. I'm, I'm going to receive Jesus. I'm not receiving, you know, father, what's his name or, you know, Bishop so-and-so I'm receiving Jesus. And so, right, because the you know, church we, and we the sacraments the heresy. are bigger than the priest. Right. And I mean, there's no way to know the state of these souls. I mean, what is everybody who was baptized by McCarrick as he was doing this stuff? For, I mean, the very first person that he baptized was one of his early victims, which is just sick. But you know, they don't have to, everyone that got baptized by him doesn't have to go get rebaptized by somebody mm-hmm. holy. The sacrament works because it works, because God makes sure that it works we're not donatists which means we we don't believe that priests who are sinners are incapable of confecting the sacraments um the sacraments work you know how they work so we don't have to worry about that right okay so that's that are there any other points because i have like a i have a kind of not a i don't know if it's a conclusion but i have a another major point but do you have anything along those lines that it leads into well i mean just to summarize the frank sheed quote Mm -hmm. that you know christ is the point we're catholic because you know the the job of the church is to train us for heaven and by being catholic we have access to the sacraments where we can be physically united to our lord and that isn't changed by these monsters in the in the hierarchy um nothing can possibly change that and the sacraments will always be available you know somewhere in the world um, and so, you know, that's sort of what I would say on that point. And you can go on with what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, by the way, this is just a side note, but I can't, I can't stop thinking about Bella Dodd's book, School of Darkness, when I read when I read about all this stuff. We've talked about that on this show, right? Um, I don't actually think we've gotten into it, um, but. I do know that book is available uh, at Fraternity Publications if you want to have it shipped to you um, and read it. I have not read it. If you want to give us a quick Basically, summary. Basically, Bella Dodd was a communist, and she was very influential in infiltrating the Catholic Church with communists. And then she met, she had kind of this awakening that communism was not good, and then she met Fulton Sheen, and started having dinner with Fulton Sheen and had this huge conversion or reversion back into the church. And then she basically wrote a book discussing all the all the men that she shipped through these seminaries who were who were communists with one intent to just destroy the church. And that's all that's right. all I can that's all I think about when I read this is the fruits of what Bella Dodd did and all her comrades are really just, I mean, they're rearing their head now. Right. And I mean, you have to see kind of the genius in that. I mean, obviously evil, but you know, their thought was, well, if we want to, you know, the church was obviously a big opponent to the spread of communism. 
Um, and you know, all the destruction of society that was entailed by that and the mass murders, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, to try to neutralize the church as a threat, you know, you want to get people into the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think she specified that they weren't all necessarily communists, that they were communists, but also other radicals. Um, and basically that, you know, they were just putting their own people in and telling them to gun for high positions. And so you read about McCarrick's like rapid rise in the hierarchy and, you know, it does make you wonder. Um, right, I'm not, but I'm then not also, claiming you know, that he's the, some communist plant. I'm just saying it. it no, of course not. Of course right, not. it just it, but um, it mirrors the idea of you get you get sympathetic people in certain places, and then they know who they can move through the ranks and who they can do this and that for, and it just kind of all it becomes a big uh, frat house basically. Because I, uh, I was speaking with the priest, and he was telling me that in his uh, order they the three priests that are in charge of choosing the seminarians have gotten really good at knowing based on interviews who is going to make it through the seminary and who will drop out they just because they've got it down to basically where they don't want to waste anybody's time so if you can imagine that these priests in this order are very good at it all the different seminaries probably have priests who are very good at knowing the person or predicting the personalities of these incoming seminarians. Right. Well, and like we talked about before, it is sort of self-perpetuating, right? right? Like the, the, you know, last year's, it's like a fraternity, you know, last year's priest picked this year's priests. And so, um, yeah, I mean, disruptive forces like that definitely have a play. Another book you can read, and again, I don't think it's helpful to dwell on this stuff, mm -hmm. but is a, a book called Goodbye, Good Men. And it has a lot of examples of things that went on in the seminaries, um, you know, in the middle of the 20th, 20th century that, that kind of led to some of the problems that we have now. Um, you can sort of see that unfolding. Um, yeah, so anything else on that point? Well, so I... Basically, the conclusion for me of this conversation that we can talk about for a bit is, and it, I don't know if this is a little, this is harsh or this, but it's the reality is, if you don't want to be Catholic, what are you leaving for? Right? So if you have it in your mind that you are tired of what's going on, it's eating away at your faith and you want to leave the church, what are you leaving for? Like, are you are you leaving to go to another church? Or are you leaving to just enter the secular world without a church? You have to figure out what you're leaving for. Because if you, at one point, believe that the church is true, but all this has caused you to rethink it, and then you are leaving for another church, well, is that church now true? Why is this the true church and not the other church down the road or the other church down the road or the other religion down the road, right? So you have to stop and think about the idea of truth. Are you leaving because of truth? Or are you leaving because you just want to be done with religion? Well, if you, if you had it up to here with all these molesters and all these perverts— and you're entering into a non, what you think a non-molester, perverted world, well, those people are out in the secular world, too. 
right? Well, you, so you can claim that, oh, the church claims it has some moral authority and it's usurped that authority. Well, that's true. But then other places like we've seen with Hollywood or even in the school system where people claim to have some sort of moral authority, they do that too. So, which is just as bad. I'm not, it's not what aboutism, whatever that word means. It just means that these things happen everywhere. So you have to be prepared to fight them everywhere. Right? So you, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're giving up on one institution, well, the odds are the other institution you're fleeing to will have some sort of problem along these lines. So you have to be prepared to fight it there too. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to trivialize the pain and the anguish you f- will feel because of what these cardinals and these bishops have done. That is very real, and that is very, you know, it's, it is a faith-shaking thing for a lot of people, but it will happen elsewhere. So you just have to be mentally prepared for that, too. Right. Right. Again, the uh, first church of what's happening now may not have scandals that make it into the New York Times, but sorry, it's, wait, uh, wait, wait. it's run by humans. What what paper? Oh, sorry. The the failing New York Times. It may not have scandals that make it into the failing New York Times. Thank you. Um, but but if it's run by humans, you can guarantee that there's uh, there are sinners and there's no perfection in this life. Um, so y- you can't sorry but there's no way out you know there's there's bad people everywhere or good people that do lots of bad things right everywhere obviously that's not a slogan we want for the catholic church like stay there's bad people everywhere like it's (laughs) we're bad but so are they no but that's not the point the point is if this is the true church of christ if this is worth saving because of the sacraments and what happens at mass or what happens in confession or what happens in marriage or baptism or holy orders, anointing the sick, or any of these things, or confirmation, it is worth staying and saving. I say saving, it's not going to go away, but you know what I mean, saving it from these scum. So, right, leaving the church and going somewhere else, you're not getting away from it. Like, I, as I've noted plenty of times, I live in Hollywood. Like, I'm right in the middle of Hollywood where there are filthy animals everywhere. So you won't find relief there. You won't find relief in the first church of what's happening because once your emotions, once it fulfills the emotional need and it's empty on the other side, and then you find out that everyone there is an adulterer or just doing who knows what, you'll you'll face the same thing so if so right. if something is true and good and the sacraments are the sacraments now's the time to you know take up take up bare arms and or do whatever you want tweet a bunch i don't know i'm not like uh the krasenstein theory of getting trump out of office where you just treat a tweet a bunch but the point remains like you stay and you fight because what what's what else is there what is what is on the other side nothing what is on the other side is not any better than the sacraments on this side that's my big impassioned plea for staying in the church right 
And so I think what we can kind of transition to is talking about, um, about, you know, how to stay Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some general attitudes that I think are good to adopt. And then we'll talk about some practical things. But one of them goes back to a recent episode we just did on detachment. Right. Um, you kind of have to detach yourself from the idea of a sort of perfectly functioning, healthy church. Not that you shouldn't want that, but if you are too attached to that idea, you're going to constantly, well, one, you're just going to be miserable because it, it's not going to happen in this lifetime. Um, you know, in, unless the triumph of the Immaculate Heart takes place really soon. Um, so you kind of have to be, like we said, I mean, it's a, it would be a spiritual good. It would be very good, um, you know, for the church to be, you know, just you know, saints top to bottom and and no scandals and no bad clergy, but that's just something, it's not possible. Mm. So being attached to that idea leads to, um, bad things. And the other thing you have to adopt is a willingness to suffer and to take up your cross because, you know, a cross that's been given to the world today is, is bad clergy. And this crisis that the church has been, you know, locked in for decades um, That's what we said last week, Zach, you, was we're not the ones that cause this problem, but we have to be the ones willing to take the blow. Right. And so willing to suffer both from the standpoint of to you know remain Catholic despite these bad men in the clergy, and then we also need to be praying and sacrificing for the clergy as a whole, um, you know, especially the College of Cardinals and the bishops. And so, you know, that may mean... Um, fasting, um, you know, offering additional prayers, um, taking up, you know, more penances and mortifications, um, specifically for the clergy and also in reparation for, um, you know, the, the sins of, of these men in the hierarchy, you know, these creeps. Right. It's again, Um, it's, so those are like general attitudes. It doesn't sound appealing to say, why should I do penance and mortification for the bad men, but I mean, we we take on penance and mortification. Well, why is what? Well, I was going to say we take on these yeah. things for our loved ones, right? We pray or we sacrifice things for people we care about. We also have to be willing to do it for the scum, for the for the overall good of the church, right? And I mean, who? The, in any sin, the primary person that the sin is against is God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if we love God, then we want to make reparation for the sins that other people commit. I mean, and our own, of course. But, you know, it's God who's hurt when these bishops and these people, you know, do these things. And so we want to make reparation to God because that's who they're sinning against first and foremost. Um so I don't know if you have anything to add on the general attitude level, but I would say detachment and a willingness to suffer are crucial during times like this. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's basically the only things we can do, right? Because you, you can't, it's going to be tough to go to mass every week if you're sitting there grinding your teeth about what's going on. You just have to be willing to sit in mass and sit there and be present for what's happening, right? You can't. You can't take out your frustration on the priest. You can't, you know, you can't, if you, every time you pass by a church, you can't 
like be holding your breath and be muttering under your breath. Two very difficult things to do at the same time, but my point remains the same. Like it, you just have it complete detachment. Because when were we ever promised a perfect church? We were never promised that. We were never, pro- never. we were never promised perfection among he- human beings. We're promised that the church will remain forever, and we're promised that hell will not pass through the gates. That's what we were promised. So we have to know that that's what we will get, and that's a pretty sweet deal, to be honest. It, it, th- so yeah. If and if you're willing to say a rosary for the priests, say if you don't if you don't want to pray for the bad priests, pray for the good priests. Because they're the ones well, that will be um, You need to... Yeah, but you also... I mean, it's really just an incorrect attitude to not want to pray for the bad priest. Pray especially for well, the yeah, bad clergy. Well, yeah, but I'm saying if you at least let that get you started, right? If you... If sure. You, you don't, if you can't find it within you to pray for them, at least, then for the first week, pray for the good priest. And then by then, maybe you'll soften up, right? Because, I mean, you, it all, we all need to be softened up at times we all get frustrated and we all so we have to we have to take it step by step right um so those are general attitudes some uh some really practical things i mean i think pray your rosary every single day you know no exceptions um like we said the reason saint john was able to stay at the foot of the cross and no one else was is that he was devoted to our lady and he stayed close to her so um, pray your rosary, wear your scapular, and um, consecrate yourself to Our Lady following the um, practice of St. Louis de Montfort, Doctor of the Church. Uh, you can get True Devotion to Mary from Tan Books if they're still running it. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, spend 33 days doing that. Um, Marian Devotion. Another thing is to familiarize yourself with church history because it's always, there are no good old days in the church. I mean, there are wonderful things about the time immediately following the Council of Trent. Um, There are wonderful things about the 13th century. There are wonderful things about the era of the Father, you know, but there's always good and bad things happening at once in the church. And so um, some titles I would recommend are... um, you know, if you want to get real fancy, there's a six-volume History of Christendom by Warren Carroll, and there's a shorter version called Christ the King, Lord of History by Anne Carroll, his wife, um, that you could read, or the book Triumph, The Power and Glory of the Catholic Church by H.W. Crocker III. Um, so reading church history. Right. We Anything to add on that, Matt? Well, we just become so nostalgic for what we... Th- think times were like you see it in politics when people are like oh well politics was never like this back in the early 1900s or the 1800s or whatever it was it was probably worse we just didn't live through it and there wasn't social media so things are never it's never been rosy and full of rainbows right it's all like what if you should read what some of the saints, like Saint Basil, the, Basil, Basil the Great. How do you say it? Basil or Basil? Jake's going to be so upset with me right now. I always say Basil, but I don't think it's. I think it's okay, okay to do. However, Saint Basil, like the things he was saying about what to do with bad priests are 
incredible. They're amazing compared to what people are saying now. So like that just shows that there were bad things happening back then too, right? So it's not it's right. it's never like been this perfect utopia where all the priests were wonderful people. So yeah, just don't we can't we can't look back from a standpoint of things were so much better then because we live now. So we can look back then on how to deal with now. But we we just have this tendency to be so nostalgic. Right. And, um, you know, the last thing I would mention is that uh, I, we had a priest that said, sometimes, uh, you know, if the church is stressing you out, just go out on the porch and have a cold one. <laughs> we, so, we are a Catholic you know, podcast. Trust the church will be there tomorrow. Zach, we are a Catholic podcast, so we're legally obligated to talk about alcohol um, at least one, that's once right. a podcast from what I understand. So go out back and have, yes. have a cold one. It doesn't sound authentic. Yes. When I so say it, it. Well, it's okay. Right. We've got, we, we, we're aware that you are our teetotal. Um, I see a tea. I total it up, Zach. How many teas are there? I got there. That you go. So, yeah. So I guess in summary, we're saying, um, Stay Catholic, be Catholic in 2018, and um, you know do that through detachment and a willingness to suffer. Um, do penance for the clergy, pray your rosary, wear your scapular, have Marian devotion, uh, read about church history, and if all else fails, uh, go have a cold one or just you know go shoot some hoops. Like chill out. The church is going to survive. Um, it doesn't mean bury your head in the sand, obviously, um, but. But know that, you know, keep the faith. There's tools. There's there, Heaven is full of saints that will help you get there and join them. Um, so, you know, when we can't look to the hierarchy, we can look to the saints. Brilliant, Zach. That's, that's a... Anything else, or do we roll the saint of the week? Well, I just, you know, I wanted to touch on a poll we put out there this week on Twitter about a possible friend of the show slash enemy of the show, Taylor Schroll. Did you see this poll, Zach? Oh, I did. I did. I saw the Schroll yeah, poll. Yeah, the Schroll poll. He he is the host of Forte Catholic. You've actually been on that radio show slash podcast before. And we made it known that we are coming for Catholic podcasts, right? We want to take it over. We want to be the top Catholic podcast. Uh, so we just put it out there. When, when we're uh, blazing our trail through all the podcasts, should we look at Taylor Schroll as a friend or as a candidate to be steamrolled, Zach? Mm-hmm. What did the people the say? The poll came back that he's a candidate to be steamrolled, which, you know, I, it, you know, it hurts my heart a little bit to know that uh, the Schroll the poll did not come out on the side of Schroll. But as I explained, I just wanted to put it out there, let everyone know that the polls are not final and that the actual final tribunal is very merciful and has uh, almost perfect justice. So this is more of a TBD situation. Determine whether he will be fully friend of the show or he will just get steamrolled right over on our way to the top. I just wanted to put that out there um, for the, you know, for the people so they know exactly what they're dealing with. But Good, good. Thanks for the yeah, update on that's that. That's a good update. Uh, sorry, Taylor. You know, we can never we can never fully match the energy 
that he brings to the beginning of his podcast when he lets out a giant what's up. Uh, we can never fully match that. But, you know, maybe it, maybe it's not our place to match his energy. But we'll see. We'll bet we wish him the best of luck, and we'll just see how things shake out. How about that? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Saint of the week, August 2nd, the feast day of St. Alphonsus Liguori. You've heard of this guy? St. Alphonsus LaGuardia? Yes, the patron saint of terrible airports, Zach. He is back. Feast day, August 2nd. So, he founded the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer, also known as the Redemptoress, which is also a lovely, what I assume, hipster folk band in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. I assume that is the name of a band, the Redemptorists. But anyway, he published nine editions of his moral theology in his lifetime. Have you read any of his moral theology? Um, I don't think I've read his moral theology. I, I've read some of his writings, and they're all excellent. I don't know that I've specifically read his, his manuals on theo- moral theology. Okay, so he has, also has the glories of Mary and the way of the cross. He was canonized mm-hmm. in 1839 by Pope Gregory the 16th and proclaimed a doctor of the church by Pope Pius the 9th in 1871 so he is a doctor of the church a wonderful title to hold um, he is the patron saint of confessors of arthritis of Naples of moralists and he has a Basilica Sanctuary of St. Alphonsus di Liguori in Salerno, Italy. So that is our Saint of the Week. He uh, He's a wonderful man. You should check him out. He actually appeared to live to the age of 91, I think. Yeah, 91, which is very old for the 18th century. I mean, that's pretty old for any century. You're, you're right about that, Zach. All right, well, any closing remarks, or are we wrapping this bad boy up? Let's wrap it up. Uh, San Alfonso Saguari, pray for us. That's a good one. I like what you did there. And everyone else, tweet at us. <laughs> All right. LOL. All right, well, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back in a week with more hard-hitting Catholic podcasting on our way to the top. See ya. See ya.